Last month, we talked about artificial intelligence, and this time we're looking at another opportunity stroke challenge, agility. It's a subject that gets a lot of airtime, but not many organisations can honestly claim to have mastered it yet. Why not? Well, that's because being agile means changing the way you do everything. Here's a man who's been trying to do that for a long time now. Yeah, I'm Steve Wells. I'm a Scrum Master at GIFGAF. I've been there since February and before that I was at Marks & Spencer's and then Sky. So I've been in the Agile space for a long time, probably 10, 12 years. What does it mean? As you say, you've worked in various organisations, different sectors. Yeah. What does it mean for an organisation to be Agile? I think to define it, it's how can we have good ideas and how can we get those into the hands of customers as quickly as possible? And once we're in the hands of customers, how can we get their feedback as quickly as possible? So anything we can do to close that loop and speed that loop up is agile. GIFGAF is a mobile phone network owned by Telefonica. It's been going for about 10 years and it offers customers contract-free access to the O2 network. So within that framework, what are you delivering? We're delivering parts of that portal. So we're delivering the, what we call the early life um, experience. So it would be people joining us and the first three months of, of being with GIFGAF. So it's kind of, how do we make them feel the love for the first three months? Because that's where the most of the, ch- the customer churn is and so on. That's Every really, two yeah. weeks you're tweaking that process. Exactly, yeah, we deliver some new features. So as an example, it could be, we want to deliver the capability to pay by PayPal. You want to deliver the capability to buy a SIM card for somebody else. So this is a high bar. You're delivering a customer benefit every two weeks. Exactly, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Another, another, exactly. another, and exactly. it's a treadmill. And to keep that treadmill spinning, they've moved to a new operational philosophy. We've employed a thing recently that's from kind of the Toyota manufacturing idea, the idea of an and-on cord, which is really good. The idea there is that anybody's allowed to say, we've got to stop development now for whatever reason, and everybody rallies around and fix the problem. At Toyota, you know, the production line stops 50 times a day and it costs them millions. But they're in, people are encouraged to do it because it means they solve their problems quicker and they, you know, you, things don't stew and you don't have to ask permission to stop. You just say, right, stop and get on with it. Stop for any reason that yeah. seems appropriate to you? To the person who's stopping it, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And without uh, recourse as well. So it's not like, why did you stop there? There's nothing wrong. You know? And then what happens? Well, then every, every rallies around and fixes the problem, whatever the problem was, the blocker, they remove it or whatever, and then we carry on. But, it, but it's, the, the people are not chastised if it wasn't a real problem. Interesting, isn't it? This way of working is known as stop-the-line manufacturing, and it was Toyota who came up with the notion that every employee on the assembly line should have a responsibility to push a big red stop button if they spotted a defect on the line. And, in this spirit, a couple of months ago, Steve and his team decided to stop, dead, for the rest of the year. Why? They want to work out how to speed up interactions with their customers. We've literally downed tools for, for three months because we had a, a capability before where we would uh, deliver every two weeks, which is pretty good, pretty agile, you know. Um, and we deliver every two weeks, but that only gives us 26 opportunities a year to, to get feedback from the customers effectively. We said, that's not good enough. So let's just stop delivering new features. Let's stop making money effectively for the rest of the year. And everybody in the company is going to concentrate on getting a capability where we can deliver daily. And that's what we're doing at the moment. And that's the kind of agile kind of mindset. It's like, what, how, can we, how can we speed up that feedback loop? Well, you know, and if that means stopping the entire company for three months to do it, let's do it because that'll be better going forward.
We recorded Steve while we were up at ACE in Manchester last month. And while we were there, I caught up with an L&D expert who's working on agility in an unusual arena, girl guiding. Girl Guiding UK is the leading British charity for girls and young women. And with half a million members, they're keen to keep growing. They believe that means becoming more agile and collaborative. And they're working towards that with digital. Hello, I'm Michelle Price-Slater and I'm lead volunteer for learning and development at Girl Guiding. So our main aim is always uh, growth. And we want to make sure that we're still as relevant in 100 years as we have been for the last 100 years. So membership growth. Membership growth, absolutely. And that includes our volunteer adults. So those people that are running the units uh, as well as the girl members. Now, my remit and my team's remit is to those volunteers. So we've got about 109,000 volunteers that run our units up and down the country. 109,000. 109,000. That's a lot yeah. of people. That is quite a lot of people. So when it comes to their learning and development needs, of course, I can't rely on what we've always done, which has been face-to-face training and we've got a really great team of about 650 to 700 trainers who are all volunteers themselves who all run units themselves and on top of that they um, they prepare and deliver great training for our volunteer members now that the challenge with that of course is do the maths These people have got day jobs, they've got families, they've got children of their own. And so we need to be better at reach, at getting out to those people who need learning. And consequently, we started looking at digital as a way of reaching um, more people and enabling not just the ones we currently have, but new leaders, new volunteers coming through, which we've seen as a result of the new programme. People are very excited about it. So the attitude is is engendering more participation. Absolutely, absolutely. And the idea about the new programme is it's easier for leaders to deliver. It's pick up and go. They've chosen webinar as their digital tool. Now, I know many people listening will go, we did webinar years ago. But understand the context of our organisation. We're volunteer-led, so we have to go at the pace of change that the organisation can manage. Michelle runs a webinar programme for the CIPD, which she delivered to her 650 trainers. That was important to me because they are volunteers. So if they can do something that will help with their CVs, that will help with their work lives, why shouldn't they get something back for that volunteering time that they're giving? They then had an additional four weeks with me where we trained them up about how to use the system that Girl Guiding has for webinar to give them a little bit of confidence, skills, practice, that kind of thing. Um, And then they've been let loose um, and they're now delivering webinar for the first time. And do you know what's really wonderful, Philippa, is to hear one of the volunteers um, who's on the webinars learning about the new program in that way she typed in the chat box thank you so much for offering this new way of learning for girl guiding I've got a six-week-old baby that I've been breastfeeding all the way through this training and I I just couldn't possibly have attended a face-to-face event so for me that's exactly what this is about it's about reach According to McKinsey, one of the five hallmarks of agile organisations is having flat empowered teams And the most agile organisations tend to maintain a stable top-level tier, but replace much of the traditional hierarchy with flexible networks of teams. I think people get very hung up on the idea of organisational structure, though, don't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that must play a role. Yeah, you have to lose all that. (laughs) Okay. Let's break that down a bit. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's... You need to remove a lot of that, a lot of that structure, and you need to um, empower the lower levels of the workforce. So, devolve the decision making as low as you possibly can. 
So if my developers want to speak to somebody in, in another team, they shouldn't say, oh, Scrum Master, can you go and talk to their Scrum Master and they'll talk to their manager. And like, you know, It's just like, just get the right people around the table. Just work across the hierarchy the whole time. And a properly agile organization, I mean, um, if you look at like you know, this talk of like teal organizations where, you know, where there is no high, it's all a holacracy and there's no kind of hierarchy. That's where you get the true agility. So it's removing the friction between roles and jobs and people really just just the fewer handoffs you have the few, and the fewer fewer blockers in terms of permission and that kind of thing the more agile you're going to be at girl guiding michelle also has her eye on flattening the structure collaboration in a corporate setting can be very difficult because we grow up with silo mentalities and it sits within an incredibly hierarchical structure now i have to say that there is no more hierarchical a structure than girl guiding and you know our sisters in scouting um, because we we have a chief guide and our chief guide is the pinnacle of our organisation and beneath that we have our chief commissioners and beneath them we have our county commissioners and so it goes down. I mean, is that a problem? Should it be flatter? Do I want to lay my voluntary <laughs> job on the line? Um, I, I've made no bones about flattening our structure within the L&D t- team mm. and that was the first thing I did because out of due respect to the staff... They're doing this five days a week. This is their career. Why would I come in as a volunteer and say, well, you know, now you've got to do it my way. We collectively together have a better idea of what is required than any hierarchical structure can can enable. So, yes, I've flattened our team, absolutely. And it does cause a few challenges because when something needs to go out, um, you know, everyone then has a say. And so what if we don't agree and how do we work through that? But, you know, we've been at this game now 18 months as a team and it's pretty uh, pretty easy for us to say, yeah, I have an opinion about that, I don't have an opinion about that. We use um, Slack as a tool to communicate. So that gives us the opportunity to just give a little icon, a little thumbs up, you know, you, you've shared something I agree with you thumbs up it's not this kind of whole email trail backwards and forwards backwards and forwards I think this I think that it's actually in generality I agree with you here's my thumbs up much more agile much more agile much quicker and easier to to understand that everyone's been given the opportunity for a voice Michelle's biggest challenge right now is a competency framework and she thinks it will change the face of the organisation. Now again, like webinar, that may sound a little bit old-fashioned, but we're moving at the pace that we're at, you know. So the reason we're looking at competency frameworks, and we certainly won't be calling it that because that that comes with connotations, it's more around what knowledge, skills and behaviours do our leaders need and how in learning and development can we provide those. So at the moment we're very good at task-based learning show that you can do this, show that you can do that. But tasks-based won't, won't lead us into the future. Um, it won't prepare leaders for the, the programme delivery for the girls of today. You know, we're asking the girls and the girls are asking for activism, but if you've never been involved in anything like that, how as a leader, you know, what's the behaviour around that? What knowledge do I need around that? So this is why we're looking at this seemingly a little bit old-fashioned competency framework, um, but it will underpin everything that we do. From a data perspective, um, it will be kind of this is where we need to be and what I'm noticing in the wider third sector is that people are doing that for their staff but not actually doing that for their volunteers so either girl guiding are getting very very wrong and we'll fall over sometime next year from that perspective or maybe we're pioneering the way yeah um, because what are people doing for their volunteers and certainly the conversations seem to be coming more and more now this country as a whole in my opinion really does rest upon its third sector it rests upon that volunteering mentality 
So is Agile for everyone? Well, not necessarily, says Steve Wells. When we spoke, he'd just been chatting in the speaker's lounge at ACE to a fellow speaker who pointed out that decisions around agility can be more complex if you're answerable to taxpayers. I was talking to the guys from Salford Council upstairs today, and it's absolutely because... You know, we've got our own money. If you know, if we if we blow it and go bankrupt, it's our it's our own fault. And you're a tech you know. business. Exactly, a tech business. Exactly. Um, whereas, you know, for the council, apart from anything else, they've got to account for every single penny. So, if they're saying, you know, we're failing nine times out of ten, the, you know, the public are going to ask ask different questions than they would for us. You know, so, and I think, yeah, it's it's a lot easier, particularly and the size of the company as well, because we're quite small. You know, we're under two hundred people, and we've grown from you know we're still a bit of a startup mentality and it's a lot easier to build that from scratch than to take a big organization and make it agile as it were. as you say difficult to impose this new way of working on an existing organization but also scaling your your own organization do you see challenges there yes i know and i think the way to scale agile is to not scale it i think really i think the way to do it with agile is to not worry about the teams and how they work. If they're working well, just leave them to it, just get on with it. But then just worry about the collaboration between the teams. And we always talk about kind of scaling horizontally. So don't don't care too much about making everybody work in the same way. Just make sure the communications between them are fine, the collaboration and you know, try and keep them all co located and almost, you know, in the same building, that kind of thing. And and and, you know, probably swap people between teams, that kind of thing. Just keep the, the collaboration going. But you know, don't worry about the ways of working so much. Worry about the interactions. That's what's important. It's face-to-face important. Totally, absolutely. Yeah, yes. It's face-to-face is much better than any other form of communication. So you build that in? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. yeah we try and like to co-locate everybody if we can. We're all on one floor at the moment, which is. But when you become a much bigger organisation, yeah, it can be tricky. <laughs> yeah, I mean, will face-to-face still yeah. feel important to you though for Agile? As, yeah, absolutely. As much as possible, absolutely. It's. I've worked in companies before where they've had, you know, offshore teams or, yeah. you know, or, and this kind of thing. And it, it just doesn't work, doesn't work the same way. It, it's So Skype and the rest yeah. and the tech doesn't fill that void in not the same really, way? Not really, no, not really, no. Not unless you're, you know, you've got an open open channel 24 hours a day, you know, the whole, whole working day. It's, you know, it's absolutely... Too clunky. Yeah, totally, yeah, yeah totally. Eve Morio is Senior Partner, Managing Director at the Boston Consulting Group. He agrees with Steve... Agile, per se, may not be for everyone. You know, you were talking about agile. Uh, if you think about it, agile is a way to use that rule, but it's not the only one. You know, agile has been invented in the high-tech software industry to solve some problems very adequately. The same approach does not necessarily work for other kind of activities. So that's why... I wrote these six simple rules to make sure we understand the real issues, the real content, as opposed to just duplicating a methodology that makes a lot of sense in some environments, but not in others. So agility isn't for everyone, but perhaps design thinking is. Eve has come up with six rules to decomplicate things. He reckons it's friction that gets in the way of agility, so these rules, he says, work for all organisations. Here he is to tell you about them. Yeah, rule number one is understand what people do and why they do what they do. Very often we don't know what people do. You know, if you ask a manager, tell me, Describe your organization. What will they tell? The processes, the systems, step one, step two, step three. They will tell you the org chart, the structure. This is my org chart. 
But the structure is not what people do. This is what people are supposed to do. So what would a real answer to that question be then? So the real answer for that question, for example, would be to understand who really has power. If you look at the org chart, according to the org chart, the higher you are in the organization, the more power you have. Now, if you look at the reality of the organization, you may discover that some people who are above teams, notably in intermediary, intermediate management positions, have no power at all. They are more dependent on their teams than the teams are dependent on them. You have inverted hierarchy, inverted dependency. So they have accountability, but they don't have power. Exactly. So very important to ask the right questions at the start. And then you talk about reinforcing integrators. So integrators are uh, usually very operational roles. You know, in a hotel, the integrator is the receptionist because the receptionist is between customers on the one hand and maintenance, housekeeping, room service on the other hand. When something doesn't work, you call the receptionist. You don't call maintenance. Now, in some hotels, they have reinforced receptionists as integrators. They gave them power and interest to make all these functions cooperate with each other so that customers are better served. Otherwise, you end up giving rebates to customers. You end up keeping rooms empty because as a receptionist, you are afraid in case something goes wrong. When you reinforce receptionists as integrators, you can increase the gross margin by more than 20%. You know, in family-owned hotels, the owner, they sit at the reception. In companies, where are the integrators? And if you give power and interest to these people to make others cooperate, you can avoid committees. You can avoid a lot of waste. You can avoid a lot of complicatedness because you have empowered the right people. Building on that idea of giving people more power, you increase the total quantity of power. Exactly. So that's rule number three increase the total quantity of power. Because what happens in many companies is that to empower some people, you take power away from others. But what we mean by empowerment all too often is about reshuffling power. To give power to project managers, you take power away from line managers. And then the poor line managers are not able to play their role because we have taken away. So how can you give power to some without taking power away from others. It's like adding cards in a game. How can I give in cards to people so that they have enough cards in their pockets without taking these cards away from others? You increase the quantity of cards in the game. When you have more cards in the game, suddenly everybody can contribute, can participate, can take the risk to play in a more collective way. This is a simple idea, but it's radical, isn't it? To stop thinking yes. of power as a finite resource. Exactly. As a, I like the way you say it. Stopping, we need to stop think, thinking about power in terms of a zero-sum game, but in terms of a positive-sum game. And this is what happens in a family. If you think of a family, the fifth child doesn't take love away from the four other ch children. We are able to increase the, quant the quantity of love increases in a family proportionally to the number of children. So why? So there are human social systems that are able to do that. Eve's fourth rule is about extending the shadow of the future. In other words, exposing people to the consequences of their actions. It's about creating feedback loops that will expose people to the consequences of their actions. So that in their 
day-to-day behavior, they take into account the impact on others or in the mid or longer term, as opposed to just optimizing their own situations today. I mean, it's another radical management change, this, isn't it? Getting yes. away from short-term goals and yes. short-term thinking and, exactly. th- and long-term consequences. So a exactly. big shift. Do you find organizations really struggle with that one because it's counterintuitive with the way they're funded? It's counterintuitive on lots of levels, isn't it? Is that a big barrier? Well, suppose you are a site manager in a mine. We want to make sure you take care of people's safety, security. Usually, we add an incentive, a metric on safety. And in case of an accident, you ask a dedicated HR specialist to visit the family and tell the family, sorry, your son, unfortunately, has had an accident in our mind. We apologize. Here is a check. Unless you tell the site managers, now, in case of an accident, it is you who will go to the remote village and visit the family and tell them your son has had an accident and face the angry family in the angry village. And I can tell you that when you do that, safety metrics are not necessary anymore. You can remove all this bureaucracy and instead the site managers will themselves take care directly of safety because you have created this feedback loop. Yeah, actions have consequences. Exactly. And from there, you move logically to increasing reciprocity. Exactly. So increasing reciprocity is basically making people more dependent on each other. Your success is my success. My failure is your failure. You know, basically, you hold me by the ear. I hold you by the nose. We have to cooperate. And there are many ways to make people more dependent on each other, notably in target setting. Uh, notably, you know, like in a relay race, the, the runners, they have three objectives. One is, do we win or don't? That is an output, the speed of the baton. Uh, it's a collective target. It's an output. It applies to the forerunners. Then there is a second objective. Train as much as possible to run as fast as possible. This is an individual. It depends only on me how much I train to run as fast as possible. And then there is objective number three. Pass the baton in the most effective way to the next runner. Take the baton in the most effective way from the previous runner. This is an overlap objective. And when you have these three kinds of objectives, you have more interdependency between people because we have a collective target and an overlap objective, not only an individual target. And extending this rule takes us to the last of the six rules, rewarding people for cooperation. Exactly. And many companies, if you look at the way we actually work, not only the structure, the process, the system, but the real work, you will see that we don't reward those who cooperate. Usually, we tend to punish the root cause. Uh, in case there is a train delay, who is the root cause for the delay? But when you are a root cause for a delay, usually you have not done it on purpose. People don't wake up in the morning saying, today I will have an unexpected delay. Now, others, other functions like drivers, like conductors, like station managers, they could compensate for the delays created for others by anticipating, by cooperating. When we don't cooperate, we have decided not to cooperate. When we are a root cause, we have not decided to be a root cause. But in many companies, we blame the root cause. Jorgen van Knurstop, the CEO of Lego, I mean, the chairman of Lego now, he has a nice way to summarize that. He says, blame is not for failure. It is for failing to help or ask for help. 
suddenly I become transparent about my weaknesses, my mistakes, because I know I will not be blamed for that. I will be blamed if I don't ask for help or don't help others. So, three rules for empowering people and three for making sure that people use that power in the service of others. That's it for this time. You'll find plenty more about agility on the website. Next time, we're going to begin 2019 by thinking about trust and human connection. So join us for Baroness Shami Chakrabarti on the trust crisis in social media and the excellent Rachel Botsman, a really standout keynote speaker at ACE this time, on trust and technology. Thanks for being with us this year. Enjoy the Christmas break. We'll be back with you on January 1st. Thank you.